hear something and go, well, hold on, I don't agree with that. I'm not comfortable with that. Don't, don't check out. Continue the journey because God at the end wants to show us that he loves us more than we could ever imagine. He loves us more than we could ever imagine. All right? And so I'm going to pray, and then we'll get to work. I'm going to pray for you. I ask that you pray for me, uh, that God would do something more powerful than we could ever imagine right here this very morning through this book of Jonah. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that it uh, continues to remain relevant, um, that these words were uh, written ages ago, that this event happened ages ago, but it, it, still, it still has so much for us uh, as we want to seek you, as we want to know more about you. And so I ask that your presence would be here, uh, that you would grant wisdom, that you would give insight, that your spirit would lead. I ask for our hearts to be softened, uh, that there's a lot that we're going to talk about um, that's going to be incredibly uncomfortable. But I, uh, Father, I ask that your grace, uh, your grace would come to the surface and, um, and that we would be drawn to it. Father, we love you. I pray against any distractions here this morning and that we would see you for who you are through your servant, Jonah. In Jesus' beautiful, beautiful name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. One of the worst things that you can do to me um, is uh, when giving directions, right? If I ask you, hey, uh, how do I get to this particular area? How do I get to this store? One of the worst things that you can say to me is, okay, what you need to do is head north on Linwood. I stopped the conversation right there because I'm like, well, I know that I'm from Botswana and I know we have the Kalahari Desert there and maybe, maybe somewhere in my family there was a Bushman. And so I can maybe see why you would think if you say head north, I would just naturally go, okay, cool, north is, uh, I have no idea where north is. No idea. I mean, it's so confusing that even I hear people talking about true north. And so it makes me wonder, so if there's true north, is the other one false? Is it, is it not the real deal? Is it, it's just unbelievably confusing. And so I'm super, super thankful that we live in a time where we have GPSs. In fact, we have them on our cell phones. And so I wonder, man, how, how did our primitive ancestors get from one place to another? But I've got to be careful when I say that because I, I, I'm talking about my mom. But either way, I'm, I'm incredibly thankful that I have a GPS on my phone that I can just plug in the address and it'll take me to where I need to go. And so I do that, especially when I go to Joburg. Plug it into the GPS and it, I know that it'll take me to where I need to go. But every now and then, every now and then I get a little cocky. Especially if I've been there, I've been there maybe once, still not 100% sure how to get there. But, I, but I've got like an idea, and, and this GPS is kind of, it's taking me to where I need to go. I sometimes get cocky and go, you know what, but if I take this left now, surely it'll get me to where I need to go, right? Like surely I'll, I'll get that. And I know some of you guys do that, right? I'm not going to ask you. I know some of you guys do that. You'll be like, mm, if I go this way, then, then I don't have to go the long way because I know this GPS is going to take me the long way. So let me just quick, quickly take this left. And what my phone used to say, I think I've upgraded the software so it doesn't do that anymore, but what it used to say, the moment I did that, I would hear the voice recalculating. Immediately, recalculating. Because the GPS was saying, hold on, what are you doing? You are deviating from the path that I have set before you to get you to your destination. 
recalculating. And so then I'll go, you know what? Oh, man, okay, cool. Thanks, GPS. Uh, but if I take this right, surely then it'll get me to where I need to go. Uh, I can kind of see it on the map on the phone, so let me just quickly take this right. And then I hear those faithful words. Recalculating. See, the story of Jonah is a story of recalculations. God is constantly recalculating the life of Jonah. Recalculating. Our lives are filled with recalculating. Especially in our, the way we relate to God, it's filled with recalculations. Guys, I, I know we do this all the time. Many of us, we will cross the line of faith. We'll come to Jesus. We'll be like, thank you, Jesus. This is amazing. I no longer have to run to all these things to find life. I can find it in you. This is great. Um, I've been thinking about my life. And so I've just written out this contract um, that I'm going to read to you, and I just want you to sign it at the bottom. Um, and so this is, uh, this is what I, I think I should have. Uh, I'm about to graduate, so I want to graduate cum laude, okay? Uh, and then I'm going to do my honors. Uh, I'm not going to take a break. I'm going to go straight into my master's, um, and then I'll do a PhD, maybe part-time. We'll see, because I'm going to meet someone at Varsity who's incredibly amazing. They're going to love me. Uh, I'm going to love them some, but they're going to love me. Uh, and then I'm going to find this amazing job and they're going to pay me X amount of money. I'm going to be able to buy a house and a a car and then we're going to get married uh, and then we're going to travel before we have kids and then we're going to have three kids. Uh, Well, maybe we'll get a puppy. It depends. Um, So can you just sign there at the bottom? And then we hear the words, recalculating. (laughs) And you go back to the contract. You're like, hold on. Like, did did I put in... Like, no, wait, surely like God wouldn't say that to me. Maybe it's the way I asked. Um, and, and so then you come with that deep prayer. You know that deep prayer? <laughs> Father God. <laughs> you even do the whispering voice. <sighs> You're so holy, majestic, sovereign, fully in control. I'm just asking for uh, cum laude and um, just a, 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 a faithful spouse, the job. Start throwing in these like big names, Jehovah Jireh, <laughs> Rock of Ages. You move from being a, a conservative reformed to Pentecostal. You start dancing. You like you, you do the works. You you maybe even call the crowd in to your prayer, into the contract, right? You end your prayer by going, and all of God's children said, <laughs> Amen. And then you stop and then you look to the heavens. Recalculating. I know that happens to all of us. See, our story, the book of Jonah, starts with a recalculation. Read with me Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying... Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, uh, let me give a little bit of context. Jonah was a prophet. He was a, a phenomenal prophet. He was a, a servant of the Lord. He uh, lived in a time when uh, the king Jero, Jeroboam II uh, was reigning in Israel. People respected him. They loved him. Like, I'm pretty sure life was good. Life was good for Jonah. Influential. He was comfortable. 
And so the Lord goes to him and says, hey, Jonah, I want you to go do something. I'm about to recalculate some things in your life. Our story starts with a recalculation. And, and here's the thing. I believe there are two reasons God will recalculate us. Two reasons God will recalculate us. The one is to, to draw us to himself so that we might have a, a, a deeper relationship with him, whether it's for the first time, whether you're on your journey doing your own thing and God says, listen, I need to recalculate you. I need you to come to me because it's only in me that you will find life. You repent and believe. You turn from whatever it is that you were pursuing and you turn to him. He recalculates you so that you might have a deeper affection for him. But the second reason that he'll recalculate us is when he calls us to mission. When he calls us to be outward focused. That yes, you, you may have this amazing relationship with him, but he says, listen, I save you so that I can send you. And so I'm going to recalculate some things in your life so that I can put you on mission because God is on mission. God's always been on mission. And then he invites us in to be a part of that mission. And for some of us, he has to recalculate us. For Jonah, it was the second one. God was calling him on a mission. He says it here in verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But notice what Jonah does in verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now for the longest of time, I always thought, no, Jonah uh, didn't want to go because he was afraid. Right? Because the, the city of Nineveh was, had been taken over by the Assyrians. Now the Assyrians were some, like, some really bad dudes. Really, really bad people. They were ruthless Wherever they went, they would take over. They would plunder. They would take captives. They would skin people alive. They were ruthless. And so God says to Jonah, listen, Jonah, I want you to go to that great city. Notice he uses the word great. He uses the word great. That's important for us as we jump into this book of Jonah. I want you to go to that great city. Jonah's like, mm, nope, that's not happening. I'm going to Tarshish. Today, that's kind of the, the coast of Spain. It's in the complete opposite direction of where God had called him. And for the longest of time, I thought it was because Jonah was afraid. I really thought that he was afraid. He was like, I just, I just don't want to go to the Assyrians. They're ruthless. Before I even open my mouth, they will kill me. But as I continue to read the story of Jonah... At the end of Jonah, Jonah chapter 4, uh, Jonah actually confesses to us why he didn't want to go. So Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, I'm just going to highlight this because we're going to get to it when we get to this chapter, but I just want to highlight this. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is it not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are gracious that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Let me paraphrase it real quick. Jonah says, I didn't want to go to Nineveh because I know that you are a God who forgives, 
that you are gracious, that you are kind, that you are compassionate. And so I knew that you wanted to send me there so that I can tell them that, hey, guys, listen, the way that you're living will not give you life. Turn to God. Turn to God. And, and he's like, I, I knew that you, you would give them time to turn to you. That's why he didn't want to go. See, in the Bible, we call that self-righteous. Jonah was incredibly self-righteous. So he was like, um, God can forgive me of all my sin. That's cool. No, but God, there's some people that I don't think you should forgive. There's some people that are not worth your time. The Assyrians, never. And so I don't want to go. Self-righteous. But before we bash Jonah, let's pause for a moment. Let's, let, let me walk into your living room. Let me put my feet on your coffee table. Let's get personal. Before we judge Jonah, aren't we the same? Are we not the same? That it's easy for us to build relationships with people who look like us and live in the same areas that we live in are the same socioeconomic class as us, studied at the same place. They like the things that we like. It's easy for us to build a relationship with them so that we can share the gospel with them. We can share the good news with them. But then there's some people that were just like, you know what, they're not really worth my time. They're not deserving of the good news that is found in Jesus Christ. What they did is, 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 is too evil. It's way too bad. God, I don't think you should forgive them. We do the same thing. See, we rank sin. So, so there's some sins that it's like, well, that's, that's not too bad. It's okay. Man, you don't, actually, you don't even need to ask for forgiveness, really. Just continue with what you're doing. And then there's some sins where we're like, man, that's just, it's incredibly bad. Like, wow, I can't believe that person did. You did what? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if the Lord will forgive you. We do that. We, we rank sins. God doesn't do that. God sees sin as sin, whether it's a white lie or whether you murder someone. It's all sin. You've disobeyed God. He sees it as sin, all of it as sin. And so we rank it. We, we, guys, and we do this all the time. I do this all the time. I'm no different. I do this all the time. I, I, will, I will confront the individual that's struggling with pornography. I'll build all these systems and we'll start a counseling group and we'll do all these things for this, this person that's struggling with pornography but say nothing to the person that runs to food for comfort. It's the same sin. The person who runs to food for comfort, what they're saying is that I, I don't believe that God can give me all that I need, and so therefore I need to eat this food. It's all sin. Both of them are in desperate need of a savior. We need to be careful that we are not self-righteous. That we look out and we see everybody as an individual who is in desperate need of a savior. But let's go back to chapter 1. So Jonah in his self-righteousness, 
decides not to go to Tarshish, verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, or decides not to go to Nineveh, rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. Jonah disobeys God. That's what happens here. God shows up and says, Jonah, I want to recalculate some things in your life. I want to put you on mission. There are people in another city who need to hear the great news of the gospel. Jonah says, no, they're not deserving. Turns in the opposite direction and flees. The text says he flees from the presence of the Lord. That's what he tries to do. He's disobedient. We call that sinful. And so God begins to set a few things in motion. But before we get there, I want to talk a little bit about sin. Because the text talks about it. It's quite interesting. See, when we disobey God, we're being sinful. But here's the interesting thing about sin right here from the text. Three things that we should know about sin. The first thing is that sin is intentional. Sin is intentional. I hear this time and time again where people go, no, 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 I I fell into sin. Like it just kind of happened. Like I was walking and I was like, whoa, sin. If I had known you were going to be here, I would have not come at this time. Like, we, we need to get that out of our language. No one just falls into sin. Sin is intentional. Notice in verse 3, it says, Jonah rose to flee. It's intentional. He got up and he was like, I'm getting out of here. He found a ship. He went out looking for a ship. It was intentional. Our sin is intentional. But the second thing about sin, it's that it's expensive. Sin is expensive. It's going to cost us something. Paul says this in the book of Romans, for the wages of sin is death. Sin costs us something. In verse 3, it says, So he paid the fare. Not only did he find the ship, but he paid the fare. It cost him something. Sin costs us something. Whether it's privately or publicly, it'll cost us something. Privately, it'll cost, it'll cost you joy. It'll take joy from you. Fulfillment, satisfaction, it'll take that from you. It'll cost you something. And it may even cost you your reputation. This happens all the time. We hear about this all the time. Uh, pastors getting caught up into sin, and then it comes out. It costs them their reputation. But not just pastors, uh, community leaders, people who are leading in the business sector. It'll cost you something, but publicly as well. See, we live in this kind of individualistic uh, society where we think, no, no, my sin is my sin, and it's only going to affect me, and it won't affect you. It's just on me. Tell that to the broken homes. Because maybe one of the parents decided they're going to go do their own thing. They're going to start their own relationship somewhere else. 
Tell that to kids who grew up in single-parent homes. See, for Jonah, he sinned. It had an effect on everyone that was on that boat. Everyone that was on that ship. We read this in verse 4, and there was a, a mighty tempest on the sea, and so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the marinas were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. They hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But notice where Jonah was. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. If sin really was only on you, then it should have just affected him. But the whole ship was in chaos. It'll cost you, but it'll cost those around you as well. The third thing about sin, all sin is temporary insanity. All sin is temporary insanity. Three times we're told in chapter 1 that Jonah was trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. Really? Where are you going to go, Jonah? Where are you going to go to flee from the presence of the Lord? It's temporary insanity. And I feel like he, he somewhat comes to his senses when, when the, the sailors on the ship approach him and they're like, listen, brother, why are you sleeping? It's chaos out here. Why are you sleeping? Who are you? And then notice what he says in verse 9. He said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. See, if I was one of the sailors, I'd be going like, really? Really? He says, the, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. So why are you trying to flee from the very Lord that you said it made the heavens and the earth? So he, if he created it, he sustains it, and so therefore he sees everything. Why are you trying to run from him? That's temporary insanity. We're like that when we sin. For a moment, we believe that that relationship will sustain me. That, that that person will be my savior. No, they won't. We, we believe that maybe, maybe sex will give me everything that I need. No, it won't. That degree will give me everything that I need. No, it won't. The very economy that many people put all their trust in is now failing them. Sin is temporary insanity. But let's continue with our story. God approaches Jonah, sends him on mission. Jonah says no, he disobeys. God begins to set some things in motion to recalculate again Jonah's life. He brings a storm. There's a great fish He's recalculating Jonah. See, the, the recalculations in our lives, and I know we have many. I talk with many of you. For some, it feels like I'm just constantly in a life of recalculations. But, but hear this. When God recalculates things in your life, it's an act of grace on his part. It's an act of grace on his part. It's evidence that he still loves you. See, we think if I run, God won't care. 
I'm sure that's maybe what Jonah thought. If, if I run, then like God will just give up. He'll be like, no, it doesn't matter. Okay, go, Jonah. If I run, God won't care. If I do whatever I want, God won't care. But when he recalculates you, it means he still cares about you. He still loves you. See, we want to we wanna equate the way we relate with one another to how God relates with us. And I'm just going to be honest, right? I'll be, I'm up front. Um, this is a safe place. I'll be honest. Uh, if I call someone to mission, if I ask you to do something, and, and then you decide, no, I just don't want to do it, I move on. I find someone else who will do the job. That's, that's how we interact with one another. That's how companies interact with their employees. It's like, listen, if you don't do the job, we will just find someone else. We do that with our relationships. If I feel like you're not coming to the party, then it's like, you know what, I'm just going to find another relationship. It's just, it's easier for me. I'm just going to go somewhere else. But God is different. God continues to pursue us. He continues to recalculate us. And guys, I want you to see that as an act of grace on our lives. That he still loves us, that he still cares for us. So when God speaks that we should listen, we should listen. And don't get me wrong, because you might be sitting here and going, well, what about the mission? Like, I'm that person, right? I'm like, but what about the mission? We, we, we can't pause on this one individual's life. What about the mission? Brian Loritz says it this way. God will often use the mission to accomplish the man and then use the man to accomplish the mission. I love that. Often God will use the mission to accomplish the man and then use the man to accomplish the mission. That's how God works. He's, he's just always at work. He, he'll call you to plant a church even though I'm not ready. Half the time, I don't know what I'm doing. But he's using that mission to accomplish the man. He's growing me. We spoke about this last week. He's pruning me. He's revealing the dark areas in my life through the mission of planting a church. And then he'll use the man to accomplish the mission. Is God doing that with you? See, if, if we believe this to be true, that God would use the mission to accomplish the man, th- then we have to talk about some difficult things that maybe m- some of us in the room are going to find incredibly uncomfortable. If God will use the mission to accomplish the man, does that mean that there are some things in our lives, some difficult things in our lives that not, God, not only does God allow, but that he directs? that he orchestrates, that he puts in motion. So we have to ask that question. I hope that I, I hope that we would have that, that kind of maturity in our Christian journey where we can pause uh, during the difficult times and go, God, what are you doing? Are you allowing this? Are, are you directing this? What are you doing? Are you recalculating me? What is it that you're teaching me?
now hear this. I'm not saying that God will commit sin to do things in your life. God will never do that. But at the same time, what I am saying is there are things that God will allow. Difficult things in your life that God will allow. And sometimes difficult things that he will direct, that he will orchestrate, that he will put in motion to recalculate you. Either to draw you into a deeper relationship with him or to put you on mission. Let's look in Jonah. Look in verse 4 of Jonah. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. It doesn't say there was the wind and so God just kind of took advantage of it and there now we have the story of Jonah. No, no, no. The Lord hurled a great wind. He put it in motion. Verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. The Lord appointed. I looked at this in the original language just to make sure. You know what it says in the original language? The Lord appointed a great fish. God put in motion. Look, guys, I know. I know many of us probably don't want to hear this because what naturally happens is we begin to go through the things in our own lives and we're going, man, did God allow it? Did God direct it? What's going on there? This is difficult to hear. But I want you to hold on to the fact that when that happens, God hasn't given up on you. It's an act of grace on his part. And I'm, and I'm pleading with you that we would have the maturity to stop and ask that question instead of turning and running to stop and go, God, what are you doing? Are you recalculating me? Are there things in my life that, that I shouldn't be doing? Am I, have I left the path that you have set before me? Often God will put these difficult things in motion. And in Jonah's life, it was the great wind. It was uh, the appointment of the great fish. See, when God recalculates you, it's his hand of grace. And often it's not the greatest of situations. It's not. But rest assured, he does this to show you that he is still present. He is still present. Because the worst thing that could happen to you, and I know sometimes we'll cry, we'll cry this out to God. We'll be like, oh, just leave me alone. Then just leave me alone. That is the worst thing that could happen to you. The worst thing that could happen to you is for God to, you know, okay, I'm going to step back and you do you. It's like when I go to the mall with my daughter, my two-year-old, and uh, we're in the parking lot, and she doesn't want me to hold her, and she doesn't want me to hold her hand in the parking lot. I'm like, it's cool. In the mall, you can run wild. You can be someone else's problem. But in the parking lot, I have to hold you. And she doesn't want to. And so this one time, I was foolish enough to know, you know what, okay, fine, go. It didn't take too long before I was running to her, and I literally grabbed her hand and, and pulled it. She started crying because it hurt. But better that than for her to have been hit by a car. When God recalculates you, 
it'll hurt. But be thankful that he's still present. Because if he left you alone, if he left you alone, uh, we, we do this often in our, in our home, and, and we should do it more often. I should do it more often with you. I'll pause, right? And I'll go, you know what? Where would I have been had God not intervened? Where would my life have gone? And so we work through it, and my wife and I, she'll work, and she'll be like, I would have done this, I would have, yeah, that would have been bad. And da, da, da. I'm like, let me just fast forward to the end. I, I might have been dead. Because the, the life that I was living, the journey that I had decided on, was not leading to life. And so I'm glad that he intervened. And yes, there were difficult situations and challenging times, but, but it was his hand of grace over my life. It hurts. But I, I anchor myself in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, where it says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he received. The Lord disciplines those he loves. He's not punishing you, but rather he's disciplining you. He's pruning you. He's drawing you closer to himself. He's maybe wanting to put you on mission. He's like, listen, I love what's happening with you right now. But, but you can't just live in this holy huddle where everyone that you know is a Christian. I want to send you. I want you to share the good news of the gospel with other people. The same grace that you have received, I want you to share it with others. Who are we to keep the grace to ourselves? He disciplines those he loves. And so, rest assured, when you're going through a tough time and you feel like the Lord is recalculating you, I want you to know that God is still sovereign over all that's happening. That, that, that he's not sitting there going, oh my goodness, did that just happen? You just lost your job. I... I, I, I didn't, I, that wasn't planned. That was, he's, not, he's not doing that. He's not pacing back and forth, wondering, oh my goodness, what, what on earth just happened? I want you to know that God is sovereign over everything, the same way that he was sovereign over the winds. He was sovereign over the great fish. He is sovereign over your life. He knows what's going on. And because he loves you, because he loves you, it'll be for your good. It'll be for your good. Look with me, Genesis chapter 45. This is the, the story of Joseph. Now, some of you may, may know it. Uh, the story starts with uh, Joseph being a really cocky guy, full of pride. Right? He starts showing off to his brothers. Brothers are like, oh, okay. We'll sell you into slavery. I hope none of y'all would ever do that because I struggle with pride, but don't, please don't sell me into slavery. But, but what happens is his life begins to, 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 these events start to happen. These events begin to happen. He ends up at, at, at a house where he's taking care of the home. He's doing a good thing. And then all of a sudden, the, the wife of the, the, the owner comes and, and, and lies about uh, his character. Brother has to run, then he gets thrown in prison. I mean, it's a crazy life. Recalculating after, recalculating after, recalculating. He eventually becomes the governor of Egypt. 
He becomes the governor of Egypt. And now he's, he's confronting his brothers and, and his dad is there. So he's confronting his family, the same brothers who had sold him into slavery. I'm sure they're probably standing there going, oh my goodness, like this is what we did. We did this to Joseph. Listen to the maturity of Joseph, a man who knows that God is sovereign over everything. Genesis chapter 45 from verse 5. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me. God sent me. God put this in motion. God directed this. God is in control. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years And there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. Verse 7, and God sent me. Before you to preserve for you a remnant of earth to keep alive for you for many survivors. Verse 8, so it was not you who sent me here, but God. But God. It's not you. Some things he will allow, some things he'll direct, but he is sovereign over all of it. Some of y'all need to hear that this morning. I don't know what you came in with. I don't know what challenges you're facing. I don't know what keeps you up at night, but I want you to know that God is sovereign over it. He's made a promise to you. He says that you are my child. You are my child. I care for you. I love you. I am sovereign over all of it. Tim Keller says it this way, talking about recalculating. He says, sin is running away from God. Grace is God's effort to pursue and intercept self-destructive behavior. I love that. That on our own, on our own, we are incredibly dangerous. Left to ourselves, we are incredibly dangerous. And so God often has to set things in motion as an act of grace to draw us in, to go, hold on, you're going in the wrong direction. You don't need to be spending time with that person. They are not your husband nor your wife. You need to get off the computer screen. Those images will not give you life. Stop gossiping, hoping that that's what will give you life, that, that, that I'll be accepted, that I'll be uh, now in, in, and everyone will be like coming to me for information. We are incredibly dangerous when we are left on our own. And so God is gracious and he sends the wind and he sends the great fish. And so we should learn, we should learn to ask good questions. God, are you recalculating me? What are you doing in my life right now? Am I, am I no longer drawn to you? Are you no longer my first love? Am I no longer on mission? Am I not sharing the good news with other people? God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why does the story matter? What we're talking about recalculating, we're, we're talking about Jonah and, and, and God sending him and him being disobedient and, and now all these recalculations. Why, why does this matter? Why talk about a guy who died many, many, many years ago? 
See, the golden thread, the golden thread is Jesus Christ. It's the very gospel that we believe in. We say that every Sunday that we are gospel-centered. And so everything that we do when we unpack the scriptures should be centered in and around the gospel. And I believe the sailors, in their panic on the ship, were onto something. They were onto something. That God was at work, that he is sovereign. Look with me, Jonah chapter 1, verse 11 to 13. Eventually, when they find out that, listen, all of this is happening because of the sin of this one man, they they said to him, verse 11, they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. But hear these words. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord. Have done as it pleased you. They were on to something. They were like, listen, this man is innocent, though they didn't know. He actually wasn't. But they were like, this man is, is innocent. Surely we, we, we shouldn't kill this man. Not for us. Jump with me to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 to 39. Jesus um, is having an, uh, an engagement with some scribes and Pharisees, as they always did, challenging him. And notice what he says. Verse 38, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. It's like, if you're the real deal, show us a miracle, right? But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Verse 40, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. You see, where Jonah was disobedient, Jesus was obedient. Where Jonah failed, Jesus succeeded. And so even as the sailors were, were like, well, let's, let's throw Jonah overboard as he's requesting, but man, it's innocent blood. He wasn't innocent. But Jesus was. Jesus paid the price for us. We're the unfaithful ones. We're Jonah not wanting to go, not wanting to be obedient, full of sin. And Jesus says there's one greater than Jonah and he's standing right here in front of you. I have come. I have come to bring the good news. I want you to know who the Father is. In fact, through me, through me, you will experience the Father. You'll be reconciled into a relationship, back into a relationship with the Father. Where Jonah failed, Jesus succeeded on our behalf. And in the same way, when Jonah was thrown overboard, 
and the waters were satisfied because it became calm. They were satisfied. The wrath of God was satisfied on Jesus at the cross. The punishment that was meant for us was satisfied on Jesus at the cross. That's why God recalculates us so that we might come into a relationship with Jesus, that we might experience true life that is only found in Jesus. And so that's why we look at the book of Jonah. That's why we look at the book of Jonah. To remind ourselves that if we are left on our own, we are dangerous. And that God, because he still loves us, because he still loves you, he loves you. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. He will recalculate you. He will set in motion some difficult things so that you can turn. And we'll see it as we unpack the book of Jonah, what happens. But he does it so that you can stop and turn to him and go, you know what, all this that I'm pursuing, all this that I'm trying is not enough. It's not enough. We need to be reminded of that because we're forgetful people. And we do that in, in many ways, is in the preaching of the word. But, but another way that we do this is by partaking in communion. I know it's a practice that maybe some of us might feel like, you know what, it's, okay, cool, some bread will be put out, some grape juice, some wine will be put out. This is really cool. But no, 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 it's, it's, it's that, that time for us to pause for a moment and to ask the question, where would I have been had God not recalculated me? Had the, the voice of the Holy Spirit, had it not said recalculating, where would I have been? It's a moment to pause and to reflect. But I'm hoping that that would, that would lead us to a place of repentance where we go, man, there's some areas in my life. I've been taking some shortcuts, God. I, and I'm drowning the voice of the Holy Spirit as he says recalculating with all these other things. I need to stop and get back on the path that you have laid out for me. And then we celebrate. Family communion should be about celebration. We thank the Lord that he hasn't forgotten about us, that he hasn't left us on our own, that he continues to engage us, he continues to love us. And so as we move into a time of communion, I really want you to do that. I want you to pause for a moment. That if you're not a Christian this morning, if you haven't crossed the line of faith, Maybe you've been journeying, or maybe you're on the fence. I want you to know that this very sermon is God saying, I'm recalculating you. I'm recalculating you. You're not the master of your own life. You're not in control of your own life. I'm recalculating you. Come to me. And so there's an opportunity for you to partake in communion. But maybe you've been a Christian for a while. Same thing, pause for a moment. And then ask the Lord, are there things in my life, are there areas in my life where I'm doing my own thing, where I'm not trusting you, where I'm like Jonah trying to flee from your presence? Lord, I need to pause and turn to you. I need to stop dead in my tracks and turn to you and trust you again. And so I'm going to pray for us. And after I pray, I just want you to sit there for a moment. The band will come up and they'll play a little bit. 
I want you to think and ask yourself this question. Are you Jonah? In this season of your life right now, are you Jonah? Are you trying to flee from the presence of the Lord? Are you trying to do your own thing? Are there things in your life that you're running to hoping that they will give you life? I want you to pause for a moment and reflect. And then as you're comfortable, as you feel free to do so, I want you to get up and partake of communion. There's nothing special in the bread. There's nothing special in the grape juice and the wine, but it's what they symbolize. See, on the night that Jesus was to be betrayed, he took the bread, lifted it up, gave thanks to the Lord. And he says, this is my body broken for you. This is my body broken for you. In the same way, he took the cup, gave thanks. He says, this is the blood of the new covenant. Looking to the cross, he knew what was ahead of him. And he's like, I I want to be the sacrifice. I want to be obedient to the Father so that those who are disobedient can come into the family. And so I'm going to pray and the band will come up. And as you feel comfortable, I want us to partake in communion and then the band will lead us in song and we'll close. He's recalculating you because he still loves you more than you could ever imagine. I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. I know it's challenging. Sometimes you feel like you don't want to get up. He's recalculating you because he still loves you. And so, Father, we we come now as your children. Um, I want to be mature. I, I pray this first for myself. I want to be mature. I want to be... I want to be that individual that can pause and go, I know the, the difficult things in my life and I know what's going on, but God, are you recalculating me? Are, you, are there things in my life that you're wanting to prune away? Are you, are you wanting to grow me? Are you, are you using the mission to accomplish the man? And then I, I, I pray that that would be everyone's level of maturity on this journey with you. And so, Lord, would you meet each and every one of us where we are? You know what's going on. You are sovereign over everything. Many have walked in here, smiles on their faces. But what's happening beneath the surface is just it's crazy. It's hard. It's challenging. And there's times where we go, Lord, just leave me alone. But we're so thankful that you are faithful. You're faithful to your promises that are made yes in Christ. And so as we partake in communion, it's an opportunity for us to to pause and just to reflect. And I'm hoping then that reflecting would lead to repentance and, and then that repentance would lead to rejoicing and that we would do that together as a community. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.